0: Hey everyone, this is Ben with Blue Ribbon Coalition here for the Defend Your Ground podcast. This is episode 24. Uh, we're happy to be back. Today we have two pretty important issues to talk about. Um, first up, we have a dispersed camping plan in Moab. has been reintroduced by the BLM. It's at the next phase in the process of this plan they're developing to manage the dispersed camping around Labyrinth Rims and Gemini Bridges. Uh, We have Simone Griffin, our policy director, here with us today to talk about what's going on with this plan. And then we want to talk about what you can do to comment on this plan, which is due this Friday, April 21st. And we need you guys to also submit your comments. They need to hear from the dispersed camping community and the um, recreation community that likes to use the routes that go to these campsites. This will leave a pretty significant permanent impact to what kind of experiences you're allowed to have up in this Labyrinth Rim-Gemini Bridges area. So Simone, why don't you tell us what's going on exactly with this plan?
1: Yeah, so I want to start off saying that this comment period ends April 21st. So we do just have a limited time. And then correct me if I'm wrong, Ben, but this isn't even the next step of the th- process. So we had scoping for these camping plans and then they opened it up and it's an additional comment period so it's not necessarily the next step I've never seen an additional comment period like this open up before um,
0: yeah but but we'll take it. It happens. yeah so they are they've, that's that's right they did open this up for another round of public feedback they're developing this plan they identified some concerns that had been raised and now they're adjusting the plan based on those concerns Um, And And to be
1: fair, I think those concerns were our our members and, and us.
0: Yeah, I mean, we were definitely involved. We know that some of the groups that want to close these campsites have been involved. And so this is the process. The BLM's going through this. And so, walk us through this plan a little bit, Simone. What are some of the highlights of what's changing? And then, I also want you to talk about the process of what we've done in the last, since this comment period was opened. We've done some work to do our due diligence and position our members to be effective in their comments, and so I want to talk about some resources we have available and what really will help influence the BLM at this point in the process.
1: Right, so this area near Moab, which is a very popular dispersed camping area, uh, some great views, great areas, and um, so what they're, what the BLM is doing is they've gone through in any where that there is a fire ring. They mark it on their trackers. They've got GPS coordinates for it. And they're looking to designate dispersed campsites. So if there hasn't been a dispersed campsite in the area yet, then um, you're not going to be able to disperse camp there in the future. And so if they don't have that camping ring marked... And so it's going to significantly reduce camping opportunities. I mean, right now, it's kind of unlimited, but it's such a huge area that it's not like you're right next to another person. So it's a huge area. You can go disperse camp, um, but that could be dwindled down to the dispersed campsites to 300. I mean, right 56. now, they've, they've marked 356. But and I asked, what are the possibilities of opening up more campsites um so like what are the chances we're going to have more than 356 campsites and they're like oh it's a possibility but didn't sound too promising and so in a huge area like this I mean maybe that sounds like a lot of camping but you're just limited on on some of these areas and the problem is is we do have the maps from um, the BLM that they've given us and, and where these campsites are at but they're pretty inaccurate. There's places that we can see that people are camping, and they're not marked as a campsite. And so, yeah, um, we've it's just even really
0: found pr- campfire rings from satellite imagery that the BLM somehow missed on the ground um, while they right. were out there inventorying these sites. And so there's, and there are pictures of like clusters of either campers or overlanders. We can kind of tell there's like a group of people camping. And there might be a spot kind of designated over to the side of where they are, but it's just not clear if what they're doing in this satellite imagery is going to be allowed anymore. So there's clearly people out there that want to use the landscape in the way that's pretty observable that it's being used on satellite imagery. And the BLM's designating sites that aren't being used, they seem to have missed a lot of sites that were being used in that moment that the Google Earth satellite took the imagery. Um, And so I'm not sure that they even inventoried all the sites accurately. I don't even know that you possibly could in this area. And to limit it to 356 sites, even on the busiest weekends.
1: Well, and that's best case scenario too. That's if they leave open all of these marked campsites and chances of that happening are probably yeah i
0: think it'll be they'll not open the full 356 and my struggle with this is if you go out to disperse camp in an area like this let's say you leave on a friday afternoon it's the weekend you're done with work you want to go um, have some have a break and enjoy the outdoors you get out there you get up to the mountains you get to the back country, Um, Say you're coming down from like Provo or Grand Junction, Colorado or somewhere, it takes you a couple hours just to get to the area, then another hour or two to get into the backcountry off the main road, and you go there and their sites are full. Right now, current management says, well, you can camp within 30 feet of an existing route, an OHV route. So the OHV routes are kind of where the allowable camping experiences can be had. And now they're saying, no, you can't do that. You have to find one of our designated sites with the little BLM sign that designates that this site is now open. So if you get up there and you're in the backcountry and you want to camp, the sites that you've had scouted out before are full. Now you have to go scout to a different area. You could get there's been times where I've had this problem. Um, I was in the Great Basin National Park, and they have a few dispersed campsites, but you couldn't reserve them online ahead of time. You drove three hours to get there. And once you get into the park, if those sites are full, it's like, well, there's some BLM land you can go find that's like an hour or two away from the park, and you can camp there. You're there with a bunch of kids. You're trying to figure out where they're all excited to get out and set up the tent. There's places where you could technically camp. I mean, The landscape is uh, would work. It's just that the rules say you can't. And so you're going to create this, there is going to be a loss of experience. And I don't, I actually think the BLM could accomplish a lot of what they're trying with the designated sites. Like if they were to designate these sites, publish them on a map, put signs out there, I bet 99% of users would just use the designated sites anyway. Just don't make it illegal. Because there's already a
1: firing. It's
0: more convenient for them. Like, just don't make it a criminal offense that someone's going to get a ticket for if they decide to camp somewhere else. Like, that's the way the BLM could nudge the public in the right direction of what they want. And the vast majority of the public's going to be like, perfect. I know I can camp there. I'm going to camp. That's probably, in a lot of cases, that's what I would do. But it's nice to know that if you're an overlander, you know the leave no trace principles And there's an area you want to camp and you don't want to take the risk that a spot might not be open, that you can do it. You can leave a very minimal, if almost undetectable impact and move on and not have to worry that some BLM ranger is going to come knocking on your door in the middle of the night, which has happened to me, too. There was a time I was camping in a legitimate spot. Forest Service ranger came and woke me and my wife and my two-year-old baby up at two (gasps) in the morning, shining the brights in our tents. And they were, all they were wondering is if we had seen somebody in the area. And We're like, uh, no. Is, do, should we be worried? They're like, no. We're just looking for a vehicle like this. And I'm like, okay. Well, thanks for waking us up. Like, if you're not you hurting anything, back to sleep. <laughs> yeah. I, and so I just don't know that it's necessary that we have the like. I don't think most people up there enjoying these experiences are really hurting anything. And this plan does include some additional regulations, right, Simone? I mean, they are going to regulate some of the impacts.
1: Yeah, so you've got, uh, and, and we saw this in the first round of commenting for these camping plans, um, but animals will need to be on leashes, and they're going to require um, portable
0: bathroom facilities like you have to have a pit toilet or something to take care of your human waste
1: yes fire pans And,
0: and then fire collection restrictions and so there's like to the extent that they've identified some impacts that come from the heavy use that comes in this area good manage it we like we support the management solutions we just don't support what appears to be an arbitrary closure down to 356 sites and a cutoff of an experience that people clearly want. If you look at the satellite imagery, people just want to camp where they're camping. And the sites that the BLM's designating, I'll be looking at some of them on the ground this week. They're just not that different from the sites where the people are also camping. And so I think the restriction down to the designated sites is overreach. I think that's the part of this plan that could use some adjustment and well, and
1: the the argument is going to be that, oh, 356, that's so many campsites. That facilitates so many people, and you don't want to be right next to people, and it diminishes the dispersed camping experience if you're right next to people. What people don't understand is how massive... When you're actually there on the ground, I mean, you're not going to be right next to somebody. Even if they do designate the full 356 campsites, you still get that dispersed camping experience where you're
0: yeah. alone
1: in nature by yourself. And so that argument just that we see that comes from these groups that are trying to restrict access, it, it just doesn't add up.
0: Yeah, my guess is that the 356 number isn't the carrying capacity of the landscape to accommodate dispersed camping, like low-impact dispersed camping, which is what this is. It's the carrying capacity of what the BLM office feels it could actually enforce. And I think they're setting themselves up to fail regardless. They're setting themselves up to go and intrude on your camping experience. If you're not camping in one of their designated sites, you're probably still not hurting anything. They're setting themselves up now to already have to go... Monitor what kind of bathroom facilities you have and monitoring dogs. And that, I mean, the more I looked at this plan, the reason they want the dogs on the leash is because the dogs will go chase the kit foxes is what they're claiming. And I dug into that. And first of all, the kit foxes aren't really an endangered species or a threatened species. They're just a species of special concern to the BLM, which is kind of a thing the BLM's made up to make them feel like they have more management authority to manage for wildlife than they do. And so they don't have like a hard legal requirement. Like if the kit fox was an endangered species, they would have to take extraordinary measures to designate habitat and protect that species. In this case they're just like using that almost as an excuse and i and i researched like the habitat and range of the kit foxes and it's like they have a few instances of them allegedly on game cameras on the Colorado plateau but they mostly live out in like the west desert they like the great basin ecosystem better than the Colorado plateaus where they where they're commonly known to live the fact that there's one's living in the moab area is kind of the, you read the blogs about the wildlife people that are putting their pictures like, oh, wow, look, at this is here. It's like when they see a lynx in Oregon or something. And so I don't think there's a lot of them in this area. I think, again, the dogs on leashes in the backcountry is overkill. I think if you're around other groups of people, yeah, you and you're kind of within earshot and visible like a few hundred yards of another camper, your dog needs to be controlled. If you're out there completely by yourself and... I think dogs need wildness as much as people do. And there's there aren't too many animals that live on the landscape that aren't already adapted to living in an environment with coyotes and other dog-like animals. I think they'll all, it's just kind of nature being nature. Um, anyway, so that's our camping plan. We have the GPS files of these sites. Um, we've been making them available to people who ask. It's... Um, you kind of have to know what you're doing with mapping software, but if you want to see where these sites are, if you want to make an effective comment, we think if you want to deal.
1: add where you camp, yeah, I've had people
0: contact me and say I, my campsite's not listed. I have a site that I like that I've been going to for years that isn't part of their inventory. That's the kind of person that's going to go make a very effective comment. And be an effective ally to us at BRC if we ever have to do any sort of appeal or challenge of this plan, if they overcorrect even further. And I think they might. Like, I think they might close a lot more sites than even what's yeah. being looked at. And so if you camp in this area, if you have plans to camp in this area, you got to go look at what they're doing. Um, check it against satellite imagery and just see what's actually... A lot of times these Google Earth images show you what's happening on the ground and or if you're in the area if you have plans to go to moab I and mean, the comment deadline is here in a few days but um the plan's still in process they you still ought to let the blm know even if the comment period is not open if they've missed your site you need to let them know uh, and and so we have a comment form we'll have a link in our show notes on this episode where you can go submit a comment to the blm as is always the case i mean we've included some Um, common language in there we always recommend you update that with your own thoughts and ideas and experiences and let the send your feedback to the Bureau of Land Management let them know what you think about this plan and keep in mind that this this is another example of we're starting to see plans like this more and more Um, precedents are starting to get set Trent like this is starting to just become everything's flowing in this direction because The dispersed camping community isn't doing anything to resist it and steer it in a different direction. That's why they need to hear from you. They're hearing from everybody who wants to shut this down. They're not hearing enough from those of us who like these experiences and want to keep them open. When I go to this area, I always find people that are dispersed camping. I always stop and educate them and say, hey, did you know that your campsite could be closed? And they're like, what? No, why? Like, Why on earth would they be wanting to close the site? I'm not doing anything wrong. And they just don't know this is going on. So help us spread the word. If you know people that camp in this area, let them know. I and mean, I've had people reach out to me that are starting to share this with all their RV groups, their overland groups, their van groups. Um, the word's getting out, but we there's a lot more we need to do. So anyway, so that's Moab Camping. That's the first issue we wanted to talk about on this podcast today. Uh, Simone, I'm sure you're very excited to also talk about the Bureau of Land Management has released what they're, somebody with really creative skills for titling things (laughs) is calling the Public Lands Rule, which I will start this discussion by saying, you title something that, like, that's such a broad title, like, nobody's gonna pay attention to what this is, it just sounds so vague and abstract, like, Public Lands Rule? Okay, whatever, whatever. It's like so broadly defined, it could be anything. But once you get into the details of what this is, it's kind of a disaster in the making. And the public needs to know what the BLM is doing here, the Department of Interior. So why don't you tell us, Simone, about what's contained in this new, newly proposed public lands rule?
1: Yeah, so the proposal is to amend FLIPMA, so the Federal Land Management and Policy Act. And FLIPMA, as it stands, uh, requires the BLM to manage public lands for multiple use. And those uses are grazing, mining, uh, recreation, um, you know, there's a lot of uses. So the three things that this rule is going to do is it's going to designate conservation as a use. So conservation is going to be right up there with mining with grazing it's they have to consider it at the same level when they do all of these plans and um, all these comment periods conservation is going to have as much weight as the other uses do and Um, i want
0: to clarify something there conservation already does have a lot of weight when i do when we do these plans and we do nepa analysis and we're like commenting on a moab camping plan or a travel plan or whatever they will have 10 sections on soils, on wildlife, on vegetation, on air quality, on viewshed. So to assume that the BLM isn't already prioritizing the values of conservation in everything they're doing is completely false. And so how is this actually like changing the game? Because it's not that the BLM is just completely ignoring conservation in everything they do. Now they'll anything, just
1: legally have that reason to justify Closures and well, saying, there's oh,
0: more going on here. They, they're trying, they're doing something new.
1: Yes, um, so the other two things, you want me to yeah. talk about those first? Okay, yes. So then, the other two things that this rule is proposing is. It's going to prioritize ACECs, which are, which are areas of critical environmental concern. I think right now in the United States, there's maybe like three to four million acres of land that are designated as, designated as ACECs. The BLM will claim that, oh, just because it's an ACEC, it doesn't restrict any use. Um, but that's not always the case.
0: It's not ever the case.
1: As we know. <laughs>
0: They see ACEC is basically like an administrative wilderness designation that they couldn't get Congress to pass. It's like their way of creating wilderness because Congress won't. And And
1: they'll always they say that okay, so an ACEC is an area that needs special management. And so something that's interesting with this rule, I, I wonder. Okay, if a land if land really does need special management, then it's already being considered. How is prioritizing ACECs really going to protect any land that needs just the you know special management? It's just going to be weaponized.
0: Yeah, and I just don't. I'm. I mean, we're challenging the Antiquities Act. I mean, this is all part of a trend of what land managers that I've talked to call. Management by designation, meaning instead of managing this landscape through management, which means people with competency on the ground to manage impacts and uses and things that are going on, they're just going to draw a line on a map and say, in this area, only this can be done. And So then you've now alleviated yourself from the burden of management that is implied in the multiple use mandate. And so it's a way for them to remove the public land from public use and basically create designated boundaries around areas where they now say, this is what we're prioritizing here and we don't have to manage for these other things. So it's kind of a, and that's what they're doing with monuments, that's what they're doing with wilderness and that, and the environmentalist groups are really the driver behind that because they see it as a way to restrict human access and human activity on these landscapes and so I think so those there's are the two enough ACECs and we don't need any more and I think once they get put in place they take on a life of their own and anything that anyone supporting this rule tells you about what an ACEC is I do not trust them I've seen an ACEC get used to prevent private landowners from being able to access their homes and their cabins. Ridiculous, illegal, like unconstitutional to be like, but they act like the ACEC is sacred, not some little like multiple use tool in the toolkit. It's inviolable. They treat it like it's wilderness and it, and so we do not need any more of this. And, um, so that's that. But the prioritization of conservation, Simone, the other new thing they're promoting here are these...
1: Conservation leases.
0: Yeah, the conservation leases. And this is hugely problematic, okay? If Congress wanted the BLM to be selling public land in the form of a conservation lease to the highest bidder, they would have clearly express that intent in the language of the statute of footla they wouldn't have who is the blm policy maker which that that to me is also an oxymoron the bureau of land management shouldn't, shouldn't be, be creating policy. new policy they are not elective members of the legislative branch they are administrators that execute the laws passed by the legislators So who's the policymaker that looked at FLIPMA since 1976? This hidden power has been lurking there in FLIPMA for 40 years now. And all of a sudden the Bureau of Land Management is just discovering that they have this power to sell conservation leases. And so for you listening to understand what a conservation lease is, they will take an area of land, draw a boundary around it, and somebody a group like the Nature Conservancy or the Sierra Club or the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliance or the Grand Canyon Trust or any of these like deeply pocketed funded environmental groups show up with money and say we want to manage a conservation lease in this area and they pay the BLM a leasing fee like kind of the equivalent of a grazing fee and now they get to be a management partner and have say and how the guidance of that land gets managed and fair enough I mean there's some who might say that's a good thing it brings market forces into management and allows conservation if conservation values are the highest value of the land and the market will determine that and I can I see some who might make that claim if that's a good idea then Congress can put that into a piece of legislation and they can propose it and they can vote on it, and if that becomes the law of the land, then I guess we try it out. For and the right BLM, now... magically discover that this has been hiding there all along for forty years, and they're just making this up as they go. It is not how this works. I do not think this withstands Supreme Court scrutiny. I do not think they have statutory authority to do this. Maybe it's a good idea, maybe it's not. I think it. I think the way it'll play out is terrible. We can talk through scenarios of how this probably really will work. Uh, but what were you going to say, Simone?
1: Yeah, so the leases, it says up to 10 years right now. But who knows? Maybe it could get extended if they just haven't released it. Um, as of right now, no areas are off limits for a conservation lease if this rule is uh, moved forward. And any organization like all the environmental groups that ben just mentioned any business can apply for these leases so it's scary it's i mean all your public and land so that you love and access could be leased out to a group that hates anybody like, who wants to if recreate you,
0: like if you want to know first negative outcome and fallout from this that i anticipate happening read the book billionaire wilderness by justin farrell and read what's happened around Jackson Hole. You have wealthy people move in, they've bought up all the private property surrounding Jackson Hole, so they've done, they've, they've they've already experimented with conservation leases on private land. This isn't a new idea, it's been tried already on private land and they put conservation easements on all the private land around Jackson Hole so you can't develop anything around there, and it has become the highest net worth zip code in the almost the world, definitely in the country, is Jackson Hole, Wyoming is the highest concentration of wealth of anywhere in America. You cannot afford to live there if you are not a billionaire. The millionaires are poor in Jackson Hole. And so allowing conservation leases to be deployed across the entire estate, the public estate of federal land or BLM land, is going to turn areas that are dominated with BLM land into enclaves for billionaires to do what they want to be private little nature reserves for them in Jackson Hole they turn them into private ski resorts that the public can't use just them if you're one of the like read the book he's he's a professor from Yale he's not some wingnut conservative he is the the book is damning it will create socioeconomic class stratification in the West like we've never seen and you will only be able to experience BLM land if you're part of the preferred groups that these wealthy individuals and organizations and foundations want you to be there and as an organization that fights for everyone to be there i can tell you you might think you're safe but you are not you won't be on the list it's for people with money and access to political power it's not for you and so if you so that's my first big problem with this is it will Create huge class problems, socioeconomic class problems, and public land will become an enclave for the rich. Um, problem number two is there. I there are already like fifty shades of conservation. I was on a meeting just last week with a BLM travel planning coordinator, and he was like, "Yeah, we're going to create this travel plan and." We're going to have the conservation alternative, which we always call Alternative B. And then we're going to have Alternative C, which is like a blend of the conservation alternative and the what, we, what would be Alternative D, which is the um, multiple use alternative. Uh, but the multiple use alternative also has a lot of conservation in it. And so I, I stopped him. I'm like, okay, so we have three conservation alternatives. We don't actually have NEPA alternatives here under this planning process. You were just giving me 50 shades of conservation. And so we have the Clean Water Act. We have the Archaeological Resources Protection Act. We have the Clean Air Act. We have the Wilderness Act. We have the Antiquities Act. We have NEPA. We have like we have dozens of laws that are that give the agencies statutory authority to value conservation on public land. And so, if this is necessary. That we sell conservation leases, there really is this disparity in use that conservation doesn't isn't at an equal playing field with some of these other uses like grazing or recreation or mining or whatever. Uh, then maybe we should rethink wilderness. Maybe we should be able to sell mining and oil and gas leases on wilderness now. If pub if the multiple use land can be turned into wilderness because some billionaire shows up with a check, then. Billionaires
1: from all industries should be able to then.
0: Yeah. Then let the billionaires from the oil and gas industry buy up leases on the wilderness. Like, if this is just a free-for-all for for that, like, I just don't see the need for this. I don't see the statutory authority for it. And I can assure you that this will be used to, it won't be used to restrict or to expand public access to public land. There won't be a single instance where that's what happens with this. And so if you're, I don't care who you are, if you like to recreate on public land as an average American, you should oppose this rule. My third problem with this is once these conservation leases are entered into, I don't believe the BLM will enforce the terms of the lease.
1: That's why I think it'll go longer than ten years. I mean, it says up to ten years, but
0: we no, see I the have, leases I it all the time. FOIAD. we have again. This isn't new. They have tried this. The Grand Canyon Trust acquires conserva- or acquires grazing leases mm-hmm. to say we're going to go manage these grazing leases and put cows on them, and we're going to manage this grazing lease for towards conservation values and prove that the that you can have like conservation focused grazing on public land and i've seen them enter memorandum of understanding with the blm i've seen them do this in combination with certain tribes and then you go foia request the grazing file on those allotments and they are violating dozens of the terms and conditions of those leases and if you ask the BLM, well, are you going to enforce, if this, like any other rancher, you could start make, taking action to cancel the lease. And they would be getting a lot of pressure from the Western Watersheds and from the Grand Canyon Trust and from the environmental organizations to do just that. When I ask them, why don't you enforce this? They say they blow you off. They won't do it. When it was the one where the tribe was involved, I had letters written clear up to the highest level of the Forest Service in Washington, D.C. saying, why aren't you going to enforce this? There are threatening letters being sent by the local office saying they're going to cancel the lease. It escalates up the chain to you. And you say, we're not going to touch it because of the tribe. The sovereignty issues create problems. So if the environmental groups create, and this BLM rule does contemplate that tribes would be able to be the owners of these conservation Mm -hmm. leases, but if there's this, Attitude within the agency that that the terms and conditions are unenforceable against the tribe because of their sovereignty issues, then you're basically seeding away the you're disenfranchising the American people from the public land which they allegedly own through the federal government from being able to enforce the rules and regulations and things that we've agreed through our laws and policies should be enforced. And so I have zero confidence that the blm has the enforcement capacity to actually do what needs to be done once these grazing or these conservation leases start getting issued and it'll create a whole new industry for lawyers like i mean probably good for brc we could be suing these agencies all day long that they're not upholding the terms of their conservation leases and we probably win some cases i don't want to fight those fights i don't i don't think they're getting out of this like I think that they should just be public land open for multiple use. I think the status quo that we have right now is, is accomplishing a lot of conservation objectives and we spend a lot of time making sure that the conservation objectives are balanced with the other uses. And that's the whole mess of a public land agency that has a multiple use mandate. I think this is a disaster. I think there's a reason that this isn't expressly codified. And if they, and I think they need to withdraw this rule. And if people think this is a good idea, it's a free country. There's a lot of money flowing around. They can go lobby Congress to try and pass something like this. But the BLM shouldn't be legislating out of thin air, out of the empty spaces of FLIPMA where there's nothing written about this, that they somehow have the power to do this because they don't.
1: So does this have to be approved by Congress if they move forward with this rule?
0: No, <laughs> not the way they're proposing it. They, they assume that Congress authorized them to do what they're doing back in 1976 when they passed flip when they got permission from Congress to do this.
1: This is scary.
0: And this is what agencies do all the time. They almost act like they're lawmakers and they're not. Congress isn't isn't clean either. They write really vaguely worded, stupid laws that leave- They
1: can't go and interpret.
0: And the agencies then drive a truck through the, the gaps. And, but this one is pretty clear. I mean, there's, the agent, the BLM has been addressing the conservation needs of Flipma since 1976. They don't have a compelling evidence that that isn't working. That they need this too if anything the opposite is true i would argue that um every action we are involved in in the blm the tilt the conservation already is
1: weighted so heavily more than recreation more than all the other uses already i mean
0: yeah and and with that said simone thanks for bringing up recreation if this authority is hidden some in some mysterious place in flipma then the same authority exists in FLIPMA for them to create recreation areas and recreation easements and recreation conservation leases. So why aren't they doing the same thing for recreation so that recreation groups like us can go acquire a lease and management partnerships and a memorandum of understanding and, whatever, and a contract with the BLM yeah, to basically say leases. Labyrinth Rims is now a recreation zone and Don't it's being fun. managed by and so that we can start diverting the economic resources of our industry into co-opting the management of the blm and taking it away from them and the, the american people and letting them just manage it how we want if the savings if the authority exists for them to do that with conservation then let's do it for recreation too and for them to kind of say that conservation needs to be on par with the grazing and the mining Sorry, the grazers, the, those with grazing permits have the Taylor Grazing Act. Congress spoke through other legislation. It's
1: already a law.
0: To inform that FLIPMA does address grazing in the way it's being addressed. The mining, mining on federal land is do, governed also by dozens of statutes, and they have certain statutory provisions that make, and if you don't think that that's highly regulated and highly litigated, it is. And it's not like the oil and gas and the mining folks are given, like, pre- preferential treatment in FLIPMA. They're given preferential treatment through the Mining Act of 1861.
1: Yeah, FLIPMA doesn't help them. And now it's going so, worse for them.
0: And the conservation crowd has their own bills that do that, too. And they take full advantage of it. And so to think that there's, like, some mysterious power hidden in FLIPMA that they need to sell our public land to the highest bidder now. That's the thing they're always so alarmed about is that we sell it to the highest bidder. And that's such an alarming thing. Like when the state of Utah was suggesting that the federal government give the federal land to the state of Utah like they did with all the other states east of the Rocky Mountains, basically. Um, everybody freaked out, said, oh, this, uh, the Utah will just sell it to the highest bidder. This is selling public land to the highest bidder. We don't want that. Well, now well, they're actually
1: exactly like exactly asking
0: mean. for it. And it's so as explicit long as if, in there. If they're the highest bidder, then it's okay. We can be the highest we can sell public land to the if highest bidder. It's for bidder, conservation as long as it's through a rule that makes it so that it can only be us that could bid. And I mean if it's
1: for conservation, then it's okay to sell it off. It's just this holier than thou attitude.
0: And so we have an action alert about the public land rule we want we think this should be withdrawn we think it should be opposed i don't think there's a way to fix this i think it gets struck down in court at the end of the day Uh, but we need all the brc members to back us up in opposing this i'm starting to hear from everybody grazing organizations state and counties like all across the board throughout the west I, i got contacted by folks in idaho today who are rallying against this we know folks in utah have been If you haven't heard about this yet, you will. The comment period's open. This is a long one because it's a big rule change, 90 days, we have till June 30th, I believe. Is that right, Samantha? Yeah, yeah. And so you'll be hearing a lot about this because it'll change a lot about how you are able to access public land if it goes into effect. Um, The few conversations I've had with BLM staff about this is they also have zero idea how this will work. Uh, The local implementation level, they have a lot of questions. Um, so this is coming from washington it's, it's a total disaster of a proposal and we all just need to be opposing it so we'll have a link to where you can help us do that in the show notes this is one of those where if you've never shared one of our pieces of content before this would be a good time to start uh we want everybody this is who access this uses public land if you're not supporting like if you like if you know people who are grazing permittees on public land they need to know about this this is going to affect them um you need to let your elected officials know about this uh congress needs to know that the blm's pretending to be congress right now and if i was a member of congress maybe you should be a little more jealous of your power and not let some unelected bureaucrat that does not have to be held accountable to the American people make didn't the didn't have
1: to be elected.
0: And so this needs to get a lot of attention. Anything you can do to help us draw attention to it would be appreciated. Um, and so that's what we've got for you today. If you haven't subscribed yet to our podcast, um, we try to be here every week talking about new issues that relate to recreation and public land management. Next week, we're going to be discussing handful of things that are going on up in Idaho that you need to know about. So subscribe so you can be tuned in on that once we get that out next week. And we'll we'll be, we'll be back. Help us spread the word. Thanks.